1: Welcome to the NBA Morning Deuce for Wednesday, March 24th, and we are about 24 hours by the time you're listening to this from the trade deadline and things, things are heating up, and it's probably a good day to have a six-game slate of blowouts. Until these last games, as we're recording, we still got Warrior Sixers, which suddenly... As we're recording this podcast, is a game, and we got potential Dame time, which, as the listeners of this show know, it's my favorite part of the NBA season this year. Uh, but there's tons of NBA chatter to talk about. There's a lot of injuries to talk about, as you heard me talk about on the solo deuce yesterday. Um, and who better than one of the one of the best in the business to talk about all these things with? Than co-host of Hardwood Knox on Blue Wire Podcast. I know I messed that up a little bit yesterday, but I got it right today. Writer for Bleacher Report, Dan Favalli. Dan, thanks for jumping on with me.
2: Oh, no problem. Thank you so much for having me on the night of the the Tony Bradley game, apparently. Super (laughs) exciting. Uh, uh, Yeah, Tony Bradley. Hey,
1: you saw what Joel Embiid tweeted last week. He said, let's blow it up and build around Tony Bradley. So,
2: hey, maybe that's what it is. Yeah, Embiid's probably going to get traded on Thursday. Now Bradley's Ooh. just coming for a spot. Do you really need Joel Embiid and Dwight Howard if you have Tony Bradley? I wouldn't think so.
1: No, of course not. And hey, in a season in a season where it's supposed to be a slow deadline, it looks like everyone else in the league's getting traded. So hey, we might as well trade Joel Embiid while we're at it, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, what, hey, hey, why not? <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, so look, as I mentioned, then like we got there's six games tonight. Not a huge slate. The first four games of the night were all terrible. Uh, we got two games going on right now. We're going to get to the trade talk, but let's start. I mean, we should start, I guess, because of the how much injuries are now impacting the NBA. And I talked about it yesterday. I don't, I don't remember in recent memory, and maybe you do, a season where so many elite, and when I say elite, I mean top five, top 10, top 15 players have nagging injuries that we don't really know much about, that are impacting teams that are championship level teams, guys that are in the MVP conversation, which I guess would give us a perfect place to start with this Lakers game tonight. They get blown out by the Pelicans. And it's not even so much that they get blown out by the Pelicans. It's that I've watched a ton of Pelicans this year. They're not just a bad defensive team. They are an atrocious defensive team and watching this Lakers game without LeBron and AD, of course, they're not going to be very good, but the the inability to put up any type I mean I know they scored one eleven but it, it wasn't a real one eleven this thing could get way worse if AD doesn't get back soon like I, I'm a little I'm a little more concerned than I thought I'd be about the Lakers because of how close the West is not about them potentially like missing the playoffs or anything but seating wise this thing could get pretty bad if these guys are both out we know LeBron's out for at least a month we don't know when AD's back
2: yeah. They they should make the playoffs. And I say should because, you know, you look 10th place right now is only four losses behind them. That's the Grizzlies and that's six games overall. They, they shouldn't drop out of the playoffs entirely, but it'd be wild if we end up with the Lakers and the Mavericks in the play-in tournament. And then you have the Jazz and the Suns sitting at the top of the West. Who would have predicted that at the start of the season? I do, It's definitely concerning. Um, and I don't know how to paint a rosy picture of the Lakers without LeBron. Uh, you just, you could look at the data. You don't even need to watch. And I would recommend probably not watching at this point, but uh, the, it's just bad with when he's not on the court. They've been able to scrape by a little bit when you have both Schroeder and Kuzma, but that's such a small sample size. I don't know how it projects over the long term. I might argue, though, that this is more unfortunate for a team like the Suns or the Jazz, because if they sit at one and two for the rest of the year, which is feasible. And you wind up with the Lakers at seven or eight because they fell into the plane. You just went through this entire season, are at the top of the West. And then you're going to get a Lakers team that has LeBron and AD in the first round. That would really suck for them. It's obviously bigger deal to the Lakers because you want, look, LeBron, age 36, you know, how long will he be out? What will he look like upon return? And then just with Davis, you know, no one, I'm not a doctor, but just anytime you hear the Achilles mentioned, it's just scary. We saw what happened with KD mm-hmm. in the finals in 20. Was that 2019 now? That feels like forever ago. So um, th- there's real concerns there, but I don't think the Lakers need to care about if if you believe that Anthony Davis and LeBron are both going to be healthy for the playoffs. I really don't think you need to worry that much if, if you're the Lakers fans. It, it's just you're probably in for an ugly four to six weeks of basketball.
1: I would go even I'd, I would even go that even further on who it could suck for is now let's just say LeBron's out. For the next month and a half, because you know how these injuries are. They say a month and then it becomes a month and a half and maybe longer at his age, but AD comes back. So they're good enough to win games. Let's say they follow the six seed and you're the Clippers. Now you got the Lakers in the first round. You lose in the first round of the Lakers. Your whole future's up in the air because of Kawhi. He's got a player option. He talked a couple weeks. He got, what was it, last week where he said we're not consistent enough. Anything could happen with that guy. I think with the Suns, you see, I mean, obviously you want to win. But a loss to the Lakers is not like devastating. Jazz kind of have their future somewhat figured out, although I guess anything could happen with Donovan and Rudy and that and and that. But a team like the Clippers, if they ended up having to play the Lakers in the first round, that could blow up
2: the whole franchise. I honestly gave that zero thought, and that's a great point. Uh, The I would expect Kawhi to still resign just because he went to such lengths to go to the Clippers, but. And, it, it, you know, there are reports that the chemistry there is better, but something's been off, especially, you know, the, the Paul George and Kawhi minutes have been fine, but the offense, it's it's really good, but it's so dependent on shooting. And we know jump shooting teams can win a title, but you still want that guy who's going to be able to put more pressure on the rim um, and get to the line. They really only, you know, Kawhi gets to the line at a high level, but when you're looking at players who put pressure on the rim, he and Paul George, their games, and even Lou Williams, their games inherently bail out before the rim. Same with Marcus Morris. So, they might not have an offense that's built for the players. Their defense has just been weird this year. Uh, People talk about them needing a point guard. They assume it's for the playmaking, which makes sense because of how poorly they've played in crunch time. They might need someone other than a Patrick Beverly option to go up against point guards. It might just be the defense that's concerning. So that's a fantastic point. And if you're a fan of chaos and you thought free agency was going to be boring, you want to root for the Lakers to meet the Clippers then in the first round and beat them because maybe that does make, you know, maybe it's not a matter of Kawhi, rethinking about staying with the Clippers do we get to a point where they're like well then maybe we should be moving Paul George for a different type of co-star next to Kawhi yeah
1: well because I've also made the point about the Clippers uh, since since last year since we saw what happened with that team and that we have to rethink of we have to sort of rethink about Kawhi what he is as a star because when he played for Toronto he was not the leader he was the star when he played for San Antonio, he was not the leader. He was the, you know, he was the best player, but he wasn't the leader. It's Kyle Lowry. They had other championship level players: Serge, Marc Gasol, et cetera. Uh, San Antonio is obviously the same thing. Goes to the Clippers. Now he has to be a leader, and I don't think that's what he does. And yes, I agree. Either you have to maybe move Paul George to get another leader type in there next to him. Or maybe he sees the writing on the wall and he's like, I don't want that. Like, I don't want to be the emotional leader of a team because I don't have emotion. Let me go somewhere that that has an emotional leader. And then so if they have to play Lakers and that being said, this was about how, if they have to play the Lakers in the first round, which obviously, like I said, have you do you remember a time like we're watching these games tonight? Right. No, no LeBron and AD. Though They're if they're healthy. There's really no team in the league that's beaten these guys in a seven game series, at least in my estimation, right? That's the championship favorites. Then you got no KD. And look, we could all kid ourselves into thinking that the Nets are a competitive team in the East without KD or a championship team. I just don't think they are. I don't know about you. They're playing really good basketball, but I think a lot of it is with the caveat that, hey, Kevin Durant's going to come back eventually. That makes them a championship team. Giannis has a knee sprain. Don't know it doesn't see. I don't think it's that bad, but still Giannis has a knee sprain, didn't play last night. Joel Embiid is not playing, MVP candidate, best team in the East. I just don't remember a time where all these guys on top level championship level teams are out with these
2: nagging type injuries, too. Yeah, I've been covering the league full-time for like a I think a decade now, maybe a little bit less. And I don't remember it ever being this. I think I feel like I also say that every year, but just when you look at the MVP race specifically, the fact that it can turn so heavily just on injuries, because one, the scope of the MVP race is so huge. I don't remember it being this big where depending on the day, you could probably talk me into one of six different players actually winning. You want to make a case for Dame, my first place pick? I'll listen to you. You want to make a case for Harden? I, I will more than listen to you. So yeah, you've, you've mentioned Durant. Embiid was was my MVP favorite until he got injured. Uh LeBron was had to be up there. He definitely wasn't my pick. Now he's injured. He's and the Vegas. Just, he
1: was the Vegas. He's the Vegas pick, right? He's been the Vegas odds on for a while now. So it's like, you know, there's that.
2: And and I think Giannis practiced um Tuesday, as yeah, but I think oh. I saw that. I hope I'm not lying on my first appearance on this podcast, but it's all good. still, you hear knee sprain, it's like, well, are they gonna play it? Because they're guaranteed a top three seed in the East at this point. Is it really that important for them to get to you know, number one. They're they are within a game and a half of Philly. So they do they slow play it with him a little bit. Uh the, the Nets are probably Lakers. We already talked about they, they might be the most interesting when you're looking at the injuries. Philly, yeah, you want him be back. It's a it's a bone bruise. It's not like not one of his chronic issues that he's had. So you feel pretty good. The Nets are interesting just because um you know, Kyrie's gonna miss games here and there. Um, his you know, MO throughout his career, nothing really chronic, I think, since he's left college at least, some knee issues. But Durant is just coming off the Achilles injury, and now he has the hamstring problems. You have to be a little bit worried. And it does, it vindicates their decision to trade for James Harden, in my opinion. But the whole idea was, the James Harden playoff stuff, it has at times been overblown, but it's absolutely fair to question um, his effectiveness in the playoffs relative to his regular season performances. He just hasn't been the same. The idea was to have him with Kyrie and KD so that if he does struggle, it doesn't matter. Or two, you just can't cover him enough for it to really matter. If you have to go into this, I, I think they could still come out of the East. If they have just James Harden and Kyrie, I wouldn't pick them to come out of the East. I might not even pick them to come out of the East right now. Um, if you could tell me Joel Beads healthy in Philly and that Milwaukee's fully healthy. So they're the team that I really look at because it feels like if they have KD, there's a chance that this is all just, we're having this conversation for not, they, they have that potential, I think more so than any other team right now, but without KD I don't know what, you know, could you see them coming out of the East? Could you also see them losing to, you know, who would they play if they end up being, let's say three, you know, I guess the Knicks. So yeah, they won't lose in the first round, but do they make it out of the second round? I exactly. I honestly don't know. I And I do think now I'm not in their
1: heads and I don't know these, I don't, I, I've, I, I worked in the league for a while, but I never worked with any of the particulars specifically Kyrie and Harden. I was with the Hornets and the, and the Grizzlies. So I obviously didn't work with any of those guys. But there is, I think they even have a level of confidence that they're playing with right now, a freedom that it's like we're not healthy, we're not fully healthy. We don't have KD. They're just out there, free flowing. You you know, booty holes get tight when Kevin Durant's not out in the not out there in the playoffs. You know what I'm saying? Like if if it comes down to that, I think we're going to see a different Nets team than what we're seeing right now in the regular season, and like the 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 Harden MVP thing. It's fair, and I think there is an argument that people are making that he could be MVP, but I also think a lot of those people are making that argument in the back of their head saying, this team will have Kevin Durant eventually. If Kevin Durant wasn't on this team and he was putting up these numbers, they would. I think a lot of the same people would be like, well, what's he doing different than what he did in Houston? Putting up good numbers on a team that won't win in the playoffs.
2: Right, uh, and it's funny that his MVP case is also sort of rooted in the fact that they haven't had Kevin Durant. For so long whereas mm-hmm. he might like like i think it hurts him if kevin durant gets healthy in that scope um, but i would argue that he needs him for the playoffs it's, it's just a very weird balance there but i'm just i'm in 100 percent a- agreement with you i do think you know if you're a nets fan or if you're the nets i do think this has at least vindicated your decision to move because oh. you've shown how sketchy the availability of your stars is going to be and it makes all the other teams in the league that, that we're
1: afraid of trading for James Harden look dumb. And we'll talk about at least one of those teams tonight. Um, we have to, oh, I guess,
2: and I'm sorry to interrupt you. But I guess I didn't think is like, you probably didn't want James Harden having to go this hard during the regular season, because that's what he's had to do for the past however many years in Houston. And, you know, you probably thought like, Oh, Kevin Durant is not going to play back to backs. And now it's oh, Kevin Durant hasn't played in what six, mm-hmm. seven weeks? How long has it been now?
1: It's uh, I don't yeah, I don't even know. It's been a while. it's he's only he hasn't even I don't think he's played in over fifty percent of their games, right? I mean, it's, it's been,
2: he's been he out- was he was an MVP candidate before he 100%. I think it was COVID, and then he got the handstring injury. So that's this MVP race has just been the, the it's changed daily, basically. Yeah, and like, I think it it's even absolutely bonkers. Uh, it it
1: could have even changed tonight because we'll talk about the Nuggets game, but I mean, Jokic had another monster game. So I mean, he's. Uh, He's obviously in the mix every game he plays Um, before we move on from the Lakers game. We, uh, it would, you know, we got to at least mention the Pelicans. They get a, I mean, it's a, it's a nice win. Obviously anytime you're playing a team without LeBron and AD, it's not a huge win, but notable from this game, Zion goes for 27. He becomes uh, I think he has the, the most consecutive 20 point games for a player at his age and he passed. I saw the tweet. I don't remember exactly who it was, but he has like 21 straight games with 20 points. He's the youngest player to do that ever. It just continues to have an absurd season. They're not great. I'm not buying in on this team yet, but he's he's putting up numbers, so people are happy with it, you know?
2: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, he's good, and I'm happy that they've at least put the ball in his hands more because there's, I feel like he's known as this you know, as a scout, you're going to speak this better than I am, but just like this power finisher and he's definitely that, but there's like finesse and there's misdirection to his game. And he can, they've had him handling the ball more in the half court. And he's shown that he can, you know, this isn't just a North South thing. He's doing stuff East and West. He's spinning and he's beating guys, not just when he has a head start, but like he's beating them from, from standstills. He's, I think he's shown, you know, traces of, of a post-up game. So he's really good. I just don't, I can't figure out the Pelicans really. I just don't get them. And it's like Lonzo ball, you know, prior to missing these past couple of games, he's been playing really well since entering the trade rumor mill. But then I look at him, he's so complimentary and so good, but I don't know how much he moves the needle for this team because it also feels like they need like someone to re- still to replace Drew holiday, or at least a point guard who can do something. More. I hate to use the word conventional, but like run pick and rolls in the half court and be a threat to score when he's like driving or want to drive at all. And he doesn't seem like that player. And that's the argument to move him because he's about to be a free agency and you've you've paid Brandon Ingram. You paid Steven Adams for some reason. Good player. I just don't like his fit on this roster. And I don't actually think Steven Adams has necessarily been their problem. Uh, and now you're going to pay, you have Eric Bledsoe for another year. And now you're going to pay Lonzo, what, like 18, 20 million a year? This team is fascinating. I don't buy into them in the short term, but with the way that Zion has played on offense and again, the growth that you've seen from, uh, I, Lonzo on offense, and then knowing that Brandon Ingram, at least offense like last year, that clearly wasn't a fluke. You can quibble about what he's done defensively for them, which is to say, not that much. They have a lot of talent, but they're still they're not good, and yet they're about to be expensive. It just it really confuses me. Yeah, I have a feeling. I wouldn't be shocked, and this is the first
1: time I'm saying this, but the, as I've watched them and and I see what they've done this year, I don't think Stan Van Gundy is going to be there very long. I, I just. It seems like a, it seems like coaching their defense is so bad. I mean, it's really like as much as, you know, the Lonzo, the points about Lonzo are interesting, but to me, when I watch this team, their defense is atrocious and Steven Adams is okay, but he's been bad in pick and roll. And I, I just, I don't know. They've been scoring. They've been scoring the ball pretty well. Lonzo's I, I would pay Lonzo. I talked about this with Jabari on Monday when he was on the show and I really like what Lonzo has developed into. And I also think if you move him, you better get somebody as good or close to drew holiday because defensively he's, he is your point of attack. You know, he's your, he's your best perimeter defender right now in a lineup full of guys who really don't defend Zion. We'll see what happens as he develops, but Brandon Ingram doesn't defend. And whether it's Eric Bledsoe, who's fine, Nikhil Alexander Walker, who's he's fine. You know, they got to figure things out defensively and, I, yeah, I'm confused about them too. And, you know, there was high expectations for this team, even this year to be at least a playoff pushing for the playoffs. Uh, If they go in now, there's still time. Maybe they make a late push. Maybe they get into the play and maybe they even get eight, you know, eight, seven seed, but um, you know, Stan's going to have to figure out things defensively, which, which has always been his calling card. So if he can't coach them up defensively, I don't know how long the experiment lasts. I love, he's a good dude, but that that's my thing right now. It's just like, they seem to have the pieces to be a functional team, but they're not defensively. And I will also say this, in the NBA, when two players in your starting lineup are literally negative shooters, not even non-shooters, just negative shooters, everyone else on the floor has to be knockdown shooters. And Brandon Ingram's a great one-on-one scorer, but he's not known as a knockdown three-point shooter. Bledsoe's shooting the ball better this year, but starting Lonzo and Bledsoe in the backcourt together, that's sort of a problem. Lonzo's probably the best shooter in your starting lineup, and as good as he's shooting the ball, that's probably part of a problem too. When you have Steven Adams and Zion out there who basically, I mean, the fact that Zion's scoring the ball the way he is with Steven Adams on the floor is a testament to what Zion is actually doing offensively this year.
2: Yeah, and I mean, up a great point with the shooting. That just might be the biggest, you know, that's what Steven Adams is doing wrong. Is just the space he's occupying on the floor for that it might be their biggest problem. And I, also, I don't know what's going on with Eric Bledsoe. I would have felt a lot better about this team if he was defending like he was, you know, at like he was last season. Like, I don't know what stuff watching him, and I don't count myself as a super technical guy, but he, he looks like, someone who's lost off the ball, like wandering down an aisle looking for his mom or dad as as a toddler. (laughs) And I I don't necessarily get it. And that feels like that's hurt them because I really like uh, Lonzo's ability to sort of disrupt in a defense, but he doesn't feel like he should be your one-on-one guy to defend the point of attack. Like, I don't know if that's going to be him and I I would pay him uh, because I don't have, you know, I'm not going to be, I don't care about billionaire owners wallets. Uh, I just, the reality of the team with Josh Hart entering free agency too, I thought they're, at the beginning of the year, when you looked at their defensive shot profile, I, th- I thought they were letting up too many threes for that to sustain. I didn't think it was going to implode like it did uh, like this. And I thought their biggest problem was going to be, well, could they get enough competent wing minutes? But it feels like they just have, outside of really Zion, and of late Lonzo's performance, it's just, just like they have all these different issues anywhere. And I, I think your point is probably the most salient one for me. This isn't even their biggest problem either, because they even in the half court, they've been better offensively this year. Is just you know, there should be more spacing around Zion. And if you want to play Bledsoe together for stretches, even just having Ingram because he is shooting like he's he's shooting better from three. I think he sprinkled in more off the dribble looks this year, too. But like you said, he's not this knockdown guy. And so they still intrigue me. And I think they have that that name recognition, like the, the actual talent to make a run. But I'm just not sure the pieces, I guess I'm trying to say might actually fit together worse than was initially expected where you like looked at one or two different issues. Um, Adam's not spacing the floor being chief among them. And now it's like, well, there are all these, there's all these trickle down effects. And if they're going to be this bad defensively, you need to be like lights out offensively top three in the league, which they, they clearly aren't right now. Yeah. And I think I bring this up every time we talk about a Pelicans game,
1: but I'm going to bang this drum until Stan does it. Zion needs to be playing the five and they just got to surround him with shooters switch everything, get out and run. And right now that might not be the long-term answer, but Zion, you know, defensively, I think he's a, he's a five. I know he's six, six, but he's a, he's a freak athlete and he's probably one of the strongest dudes in the NBA. I don't think he has the lateral movement to guard wings, but I think he can guard most bigs and he's athletic and long enough to guard most bigs. And you can switch one through five with their size with, with Lonzo if he's playing and Bledsoe, and Bledsoe's pretty long too, I and then that sort of answers your problem with having two complete non-shooters on the floor at all time. And with and with what you're saying about Zion, I have been very. I was not high on Zion, to be honest. I was not high as everyone else was. I see what everyone sees, but I've always had issues with building your franchise around a guy who literally just can't shoot. He just can't, and it, it's. But he has impressed me this year. His ball handling is better than I thought it was. And the the ability to score around the rim and go down, it's not just downhill, like you said. And it's a, it's his, it's the way he, I mean, because of how athletic he is, it's the way he just, he stays in the air and he's, his body movement and his body control in the air and scoring around guys and using his body to bounce off of guys and finish at the rim is is incredible. I do think... And I think this is probably an easy comparison and people have made it before. It's a little bit, the situation strikes me a little bit like Giannis where once he plays against great defenses in a seven game series, they're going to figure out ways to stop him because he can't shoot, but he's still young and that remains to be seen. He has been super impressive with what he's done this year. So, I mean, I can't knock it, but the the shot, at least there's got to be some semblance if he's going to be your main focus, I think. I don't know. Maybe he revolutionizes re revolutionizes what we're seeing in the NBA. I don't know.
2: You know. He has to at least be taking them more like Giannis eventually did. And again, there's still time for that to happen. And now people are, you know, Giannis was taking them. That was the first step. Now it's, Hey, can you hit your pull-up jumper? Is it better than a 30% clip or whatever he's at right now? Do you buy into the notion too, which might confuse this team's future even more that Zion's prime might be more truncated just because of the way that he plays. And so that sort of increases the urgency of the Pelicans to, Be better I don't want to say immediately but very soon because you're not going to have 12 to 15 years of of this Zion it might be more like you know eight or something like that yeah and I I don't know that it's even
1: I never really thought about it in the sense of the way he plays I've always thought about it in his body type I just don't see how he's just I mean he's so he's so huge he's so big and compact that and I'm not never you never hope for it you knock on wood but like Just he's. I've always felt like he's like one injury away from not his career being done, but like it really hurting what he does because everything with him is his explosiveness, and his body type just strikes me as one that is begging for something to happen. It, It just And that's where you heard, like, when he came in, like, were they going to make him lose weight? Were they going to try to make change the way he walked and his gait and all that (laughs) stuff? You remember that, like, I and I and I always did wonder about that. And like, you saw the thing at Duke where he was so big and athletic, he exploded his shoe. And like, there's always these things, so I I have wondered that, like, how long can his prime be, and how long can his career be at this size? So yeah, it does concern me a little bit, and the the way he plays too. Because of his athleticism, it's the same thing I always thought with Russ, which is like, and, and it's a, it's different here because he's, this is not a, we're not talking about a point guard, we're talking about a big, but like I always figured with Russ, like once the athleticism starts to go, it's going to be a quick, quick decline. And even though he's not playing terrible, we kind of did see that with Russ over the last couple of years. Like he's not as athletic as he used to be. He's not, and he's not quite as good as he used to be. It hasn't happened as quickly, but I could see it happening with Zion for sure. So yeah, there, there may be that, that thought process too, but I think more than anything in today's NBA, there's a, there's going to be a rush to try to build something competent around him because if they don't, he's going to leave because it's new Orleans. Uh,
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. That that's yeah. That's a whole different conversation. It feels so dirty to have it. You know, I would say when you get these guys because of the way restricted free agency works, you have to assume he's going to be, you can have him if you want for at least eight years it's not really that large of a window when you think about, it. I mean, two of those years are already done after this season. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, th- there is that reality. I, it's almost just like, I don't even think about it because I feel like it's just ingrained into the way these teams can, we're seeing it kind of bear out in Minnesota right now where they're so bad. And it was this way last season, but they still gave up that pick to get D'Angelo Russell and they're acting from everything you hear and read as basically quasi buyers at the deadline, which they have no business being, but that's just the reality that these and I don't, I don't know that it's um, and I don't want to be the, the guy that's like, hey, I'm not trying to look for this next guy who wants out. Uh, but it is it, like you mentioned, it's just it's the reality of, of the situations there.
1: Yeah, it's it's, it, it's weird. They're they're going to be a weird team. And they're, it sounds like they're going to buy out JJ. And I've never i still had, don't understand the Lonzo stuff, but we'll see. Now mentioned when we were talking about Brooklyn a team that regrets potentially not pulling the trigger for. James Harden, that team, or at least one of those teams, has got to be the Miami Heat who lost their fourth in a row tonight to – look, it's the Suns, so you can't – how disappointed. No Goran Dragic again. uh, You can't be that disappointed about – you know you lose to the Suns, you lose to the Suns. They're one of the best teams in the NBA. One of my my bold post-All-Star prediction, I don't even know if it's that bold, was that they're going to finish with the best record in the NBA – now you look at all the injuries. If they stay healthy, it seems pretty realistic, but I'm pretty ingrained in heat Twitter. I host a heat podcast with Norris Cole. So I see what people are saying. Heat Twitter is f- losing their minds. They need the trigger to get pulled today. Basically they've given up on Tyler hero. They've given up on Duncan Robinson. Um, they basically they're Kyle Lowry's already a Miami heat player in their eyes. Um, and it, it, it their offense has been atrocious this year. And this was a team that, you know, they basically lived and died off the three last year. They're second or third in the league in three-point shooting. Now they're like 28th or 29th and it's continued. And Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson have regressed in a big way. They probably need to, it seems like with the deadline coming up, they probably need to pull the trigger here because this is another situation. Like I talked about with New Orleans. If you have two guys in your, your two stars are guys, and, and this is more so two stars, Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, two stars who don't shoot. Everyone else needs to be shooting the ball well, and no one on this team is shooting the ball well right now.
2: Yeah, I just, they're so weird. They have, you know, they have the second best defense since February 1st. And so that's fine. But that coincides with the 21st ranked offense. And as you said, the offense's ability to generate space has always been great. but players aren't knocking down shots. It's weird because I don't know what the answer would be for them. I, you know, getting Kyle Lowry would be good, but does he fix everything? And you have to look at okay, he turns 35 in May. Are you giving up Tyler Hero to get Kyle Lowry? And I don't know that I would just because you've paid Jimmy Butler, you've paid Bam bio, having Tyler Hero's rookie scale at least that mystery box type of or lottery take whatever you want to call it. It's kind of kind of valuable because. You've, you're gonna have to. You're paying those two, and then Lowry's gonna get paid this summer. That's what makes it really tough for me. I don't know what the move is for them. I agree with you that they need to do something. And I see. I'm not as ingrained in the Heat Twitter as you, but I do see them like really freaking out. Yeah. Uh, I did not realize that they were as out on Tyler Hero though. As, I mean,
1: I think uh, it's a mix. They're
2: definitely out on
1: Duncan. I mean, they're they they seem to be very much out on Duncan. Tyler is is uh, polarizing at this point, but I think there's a combination of him. I wouldn't even call it regressing. Maybe it's just like a sophomore wall. We know that the upside's there, but I think they're coming to this realization that, you know, after the finals last year, there was this, oh, this guy's a star. This guy could be a top whatever player in the league. This guy's the future of this team. Now they're thinking like, oh, damn, we didn't give up Tyler Hero for James Harden. It's like a, a regret type of thing where it's like, um, and that might have not even have been the case. That's just like reports. Like, do they want to give up Tyler Hero for James Harden, whatever, uh, so I think people are, they're getting restless because unlike last year where this team was pretty good throughout the year, and then they made the trade deadline deal and then they made that run. This year has been lose five in a row, win six in a row, lose three in a row, win four in a row. Like there's no real consistency for the team. And the glaring thing has been the three point shooting among other things. Look, they're, they're towards the bottom of the league and points in the paint too. So that, you know, there's some glaring things offensively for this team. And everyone knows they're like, it's Jimmy and Bam's team. The pieces have to fit around them and they don't fit right now. So what do we do? And there's a lot of people who say the same thing about Kyle Lowry, which is, yeah, he's 34, 35 years old. Do you want to pay him for two years? Is he the right move? I don't know. Would I give up Tyler Hero for him? I'm on the fence about that too, but he is a 40% three-point shooter. He can score at all three levels, which the Heat really just don't have right now. And he's a good defender, which... You know it just fits the it fits what their identity is. I would imagine Norm Powell would probably be in the deal as well because the Raptors got to get rid of Norm Powell like they got they, they have to move him because he's gonna get paid he's gonna get paid this offseason, and they just paid three guys who can't get them anywhere anyways. So uh, they can't pay another fringe player overpaid fringe player to stay in Toronto I don't think. So Norm Powell's having a good shooting year it, it bolsters your team. I don't know that it's the answer to get you over the hump in the East because the East is just so good this year.
2: Yeah, and then if you're the Heat, you're in a position to have to pay both Powell and Lowry this offseason. Yeah. That, that would get difficult. Uh, I agree with you because, look, they've already paid Fred Van Fleet, and so you have to imagine at least one of Lowry and Powell gone after this year because how much money can you invent, uh, invest in that many sub six four players? Because I think Norman Powell is 6'3". So I just – If you don't trade or if the reports are that you're not going to give up Tyler Hero for James Harden, then you go and give him up for Kyle. I don't know what the optics look like there. It's a great point. I also don't even know. Do you have the firepower to even get both Lowry and Powell? Because they can make the money work for sure. But if you're Toronto, given how Hero is played, is the allure of Hero enough to give up both those guys for hero and salary filler, is basically what it amounts to. Funny enough is
1: the from some of the local outlets down here there's people that have been reporting that Toronto really likes precious Achua who people down here are kind of out on too. <laughs> um, so, you know how it is with team Twitter though. It's like, you know, people they're they, they go up and down so quickly, but um, there I mean, actually the report was that their initial offer was Kendrick Nunn, precious and Avery Bradley for Kyle Lowry, not having to give up Duncan or, or Tyler hero, um, which is probably like the opening salvo to see, what they could get away with, um, and that, and the other thing, the stuff I've seen is that it's up to Kyle Lowry at this point. Like that, if Kyle Lowry wants to, to leave Toronto and not re-sign with them, that the Heat have the deal ready and they're willing to pay him two years, fifty million. So, uh, I mean, we'll see. It, it makes them competitive enough to get. I do think it makes them competitive enough to get out of the East. I think he's an upgrade but a lot of teams upgraded in the East. So it's, inter- it's weird. And I just don't know what, if they're going to make a move, maybe they don't, if they're going to make a move, I don't know that there's a better option. Cause do you want to trade for Victor Oladipo when he's just going to be in free agency and you could potentially get him in the off season anyway.
2: And he's been, I mean, if the him? cost is, if the cost is Kendrick, Nunn, I'd right. salary filler. I'd probably do it. Um, I don't know where, I feel like I've always been lower on Kendrick Nunn than the consensus too, but If I, if I'm the heat, I'd rather give up none in an old Depot trade and take that flyer because look, he did play well for like eight games in Indy this year or whatever. And uh, you at least know that you should be able to get some good defense from him and the heat are not a team that are going to stand him hijacking possessions like he did in the bubble last year, or as he's kind of done in Houston at times, Uh, it's just, uh, and I love Kyle Lowry. I just think he makes so much more sense for a team like the Sixers, because I feel like closer than Miami I know what Lowry would do for Miami with Bam and Jimmy Butler but it would still feel like there's an element missing and I don't know if I'm just a loser that's harping on them losing Jay Crowder over the offseason I didn't understand that and I know the reports were that they didn't want to give him a multi-year deal you could have given Jake Crowder the full mid-level over four and I think he got it over three and that deal still would have been movable if you needed cap space and I'm very much in the camp of don't count your cap space until you need it. Like you can figure out ways to create cap space and the heat of all teams know this. They did mm-hmm. it last year. They just got off of James Johnson and Dion waiters. Those consider like two of the uh, more unsavory deals. in the. League. So uh, I think that they're sort of missing that as well, that element in the front court, like that dynamic four, and so that if you Absolutely. get Kyle, if you get Kyle out, it still doesn't address that you're definitely closer, but I feel like it makes more sense to put Tyler hero in a trade if you view this as the missing piece that puts you back in the position you were last season. And because the next nets exist, it might almost be counterintuitive to do that, where I know a lot of people are thinking, well, that's, that's what emboldens you to go after a player to, to make you as relevant as possible in the East. But if you know a full strength next squad awaits, it's almost like, do we even have a 5% chance of winning the title with Kyle Lowry? And I would say that you need the idea of Kyle Lowry, at least, or the idea of a player like Victor Oladipo plus, a more dynamic forward. Maybe Trevor Ariza gives them that I, I totally space that they acquired him, but I, he's definitely on offense, not as dynamic as, you know, I know Jay Crowder could be a little overly adventurous at times, I think would be the best way to say it, but uh he just, Trevor Reese is not going to give you the same thing. He also hasn't played in like a over year. year at this yeah, point. Over yeah. a year. Well, over a year because he, what is time at this point? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, know. like he,
1: he hasn't played since before the league got shut down because he opted out of the bubble. So right, until now right. he's been out. So, yeah, I agree. And yeah, I don't think he's the answer. Um, he is a, a, I mean, I think he, at this point in their careers, I do think he's an upgrade over a Who's been the backup for right now. And you're totally right. The glaring problem there. It, it's weird because Kelly Olenek has played actually good for them. He just does not mess with your like backup five rotation. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, not, no, that's exactly the point. The lot those four games that bam just sat, a couple games ago, Kelly Linick played his best basketball of the season, and he was starting at the five. He's much more suited to be your backup five. They need a stretch four, but that then begs the question: like, who's the stretch? Who are you going to get? I, it, you, the the they're saying that the Heat are the favorite to get LaMarcus Aldridge if he it hits the buyout market. I don't think that's the answer because I don't. I mean, he's he's very good, but he's he's also older. Um, how many minutes a game are you going to play him? Better as Does a he, five,
2: too. Yeah. Exactly.
1: At this point in his career, for sure. Like, do you want to go try to get Aaron Gordon? I don't. I don't think so. But like, I, I mean, he would be a nice piece. And I mean, maybe the Heat can sort of rejuvenate the dis, the little bit of disappointment that he's been. But I, I don't know. For that team, it it is a weird situation for them. I just <laughs> I get my timeline just gets flooded by heat, like all this heat stuff, and I'm just like they're, they're going to be, that is a fan base that if nothing happens on Thursday by Thursday, whew, it's going to be give up on the season. We're done. I, which I, I know that happens with a lot of fan bases, but it's, it's going to be that way for this team. Um,
2: they haven't it, really been like at full strength that much this year. And nope. so you could envision them, even if they do nothing, you know, things breaking, right. I wouldn't pick them to come out of the East or even make it to the conference finals. But I, the best version of this team, I still think is a lot better than what we've seen. And no one on the planet would have picked them last year to do it. So it's like, you know, like what? I also think that they are a better, in theory, Aaron Gordon destination than people talk about. I think I'm just a little bit more of a believer in Aaron Gordon. If you put him, you know, he probably still has to play the three at times or like a three in Miami, but he really doesn't. And if you give him space to operate, he's shown that he has some real ball skills. Even if you want to use him like that, I imagine his three point clip, that he's shooting this year would hold on a team like Miami. And he gives you a lot of options defensively, and you can go smaller at the five during no BAM minutes. Uh, I don't know. I'm sure Heat fans might hate that he's owed money next year, but like they already kind of punted on cap space a little bit by extending BAM. Uh, I could understand it if you were, you know, they might be a good Harrison Barnes destination, but maybe you want to keep the powder dry for 2022. Even at that point, if you can get Harrison Barnes, I'd be like, you can move him in the final year of his deal if you want 2022 cap space. Those are the types of players that I actually think could potentially make a bigger difference for mm-hmm. them than Kyle Lowry. If only because we have the um, I, I would imagine you don't give up hero in one of those deals, but even more than that, you still have the idea of what if Goran Dragic is healthy, you know, not as good as Lowry, but still gives you a, like another self-generating score. Yeah. I mean, he's been one of the catalysts for this offense, the offense. It's
1: been bad all year, but it it falls off a cliff when you don't have him because they just don't have a lot of guys that are will not only that can score, get to the rim and score in the mid range, but that are willing to do it. It's just, everyone's just, this team's like allergic to scoring at the rim. Even when they get to the rim, they pass out and they, they just are so reliant on the three.
0: Pro teams have millions to spend and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash blue wire. That's harrys.com slash blue wire for a $3 trial set free. Um, as far as Phoenix goes, good win
1: for them. They stay hot. I think they, I think they've won like 21 of their last 25 games or something. They're one of the hottest teams in the league. I saw, I was looking at your, and if anybody in, for all you guys out there, check it out. Uh, Dan posted today, his, top three in every award category three months through the season um, coach of the year. You have Monty third, which I think is, I think that's fair. You, you have Quinn Snyder one, Tom Thibodeau, Nick's we'll talk about in a second, Monty Williams third. I was actually interested that doc's not in your top three.
2: Yeah. I thought about tying him and Monty Williams, but that I felt like that was the cowards way to go about it. And <laughs> yeah. I, I I put a tie somewhere else on that, um that article doc. Rivers has been really good. And I think, uh, I do think he's been aided by the fact that the roster makes more sense, but his decision to be like, you know what? We're not going to separate Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons super stringently. Um, And I do know, you know, he's unlocked Tobias Harris. It's very clear that he knows how to use Tobias Harris. So with coach of the year, and you could say this about other awards this season, but every season coach of the year is one of the awards where if you want to sell me on like a dozen candidates, I'll listen to you. You want to tell me that Greg Popovich deserves it this year because the Spurs are defending way above their talent level. Heck yeah. I'll listen to you. That's, that's a good um, point. But look, the Suns are the, I get things wrong. 99% of the time. I was actually right about the Suns. I said, I thought they were going to be one of the biggest threats to come out of the West this year. And I, I really think they are uh, that, you know, you talked that you might pick them as one of those teams after the all-star break. You said, I can't remember. Well, what it's, it was It's interesting. Guy.
1: Like before the season, we did bold predictions. And I said, they were the second best team in the West. And then they kind of went on a little bit of a slide. And then after the break now, I said, they're going to finish with, I didn't say they were going to win the West, but they could. I said, they, I said,
2: though, I think they'll finish with the best record in the NBA. And it's, it's amazing if that's not a hot take. And the thing with this team, I like so much about them. I think their, their depth is kind of undersold. And if you try and go suss out trades for them, that's when you really understand it. It's like, well, who the heck are they going to move? Like they can't like, no, he's Sarge. Sarge is too important. Jay Crowder is too important to what they're doing. So they defend really well. And I think that they're the teams that can defend a bunch of different ways, given how well charge has played at the five. Uh, what I think amazes me most is it doesn't feel like they've peaked yet. Devin Booker and Chris Paul are still very clearly figuring each other out. Deandre Ayton, who uh, he's, he's one of my siren songs. I really believe there's a great NBA player in there, but he is so maddeningly inconsistent. And I think that his defense you know, teams have done a better job of kind of pulling him out even further. And so he can get burned there now too, where everyone's like, look at how switchable DeAndre Ayton is. And teams are like, well, let's put him in front of a guard 20 feet away from the basket. He's going to get torched anyway. And yet there's still a top tier defense because of how Shards is defending. And I, I, I guess the, the two things you could point to would be, I mean, they don't get to the foul line There's stuff like that, but I don't know how much stock people place in this, but, Chris Paul is really the only one and Jay Crowder who've been there, done that in the postseason. Devin Booker, Mikhail Bridges, and Cam Johnson, like that's all new to them. The other thing is, though, if DeAndre Aiton is going to be this inconsistent, you are probably going to run into problems at the five in certain matchups because how well does Dario Sarch, the five, work against you know, a fully healthy jazz team with Gobert or Jokic with the Nuggets, Anthony Davis with the Lakers, because mm-hmm. we know he'll at least be closing games at the five. So there are definitely things to worry about with this team. They are, I said this at the beginning of the season, and it clearly wasn't a hot enough take. I think they're the biggest uh, threat to come out of the West aside from the Lakers. And I I've yet to see anything to move me off that. And the jazz are fantastic. I want to make that clear. I'm sure you've heard this and I don't know, maybe we come to see that it doesn't matter. I still just worry like who is the, the bigger wing defender in the playoffs for them. I I'm a big believer in Rudy Gobert, but you're not putting Royce O'Neal on lebron or anthony davis or Kawhi or paul george and i know no one can stop any of those guys but you're gonna have to go through at least one of them if not both and those two teams have two of those guys you need at least one of the one no-brainer body to be like okay you go guard you know Kawhi leonard you go guard paul george they don't people will say joe ingles because of what he did to paul george in that one series when they were in okc it's it's not joe ingles right now
1: yeah I, i couldn't agree more i don't I don't buy the jazz. I never have. And I think what we've seen in the second half is that even though they're playing some good basketball, a lot of their success in the first half of the season was probably based on their health. You know, that they've, I think they've only had three starting different starting lineups all year. Whereas every other team, I mean, they've been remarkably healthy in a season where every other team's falling apart at different points in the year. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of their success early in the year, their record wise, not that they're not a good team. Um, but I think it was definitely an overreaction to think that they're as good as their record indicates. They're a good team. They're probably top four in the West, but I don't even know, like, ultimately if I have, if I would trust them to beat, you know, Lakers Suns, Clippers, even the Nuggets, the way they're starting to play, and I don't know that I would trust them to beat any of those teams in a seven-game series. And a lot of it does come down to what you're saying, and that's why the Suns are much better, at least in my eyes, suited to to go deeper in the playoffs. Because, in addition to having two of the best guards in the NBA, they also have great wing defenders in Mikael Bridges and Jay Crowder, and Chris Paul. By the way, no slouch as a defender, he can guard bit. He can guard up because he's a good one-on-one defender too. So. Yeah, I think they're they're more they're definitely more built to make a run in the playoffs than the Jazz. I've just you know, I, the Jazz are just I can't buy it. And I I really like Donovan Mitchell too. I just I don't think Donovan Mitchell is the best player on a championship team. And it, it, maybe that's just an easy just like blanket statement to make, but it's hard for me to see a like a 63 guard who's essentially a volume scorer being a guy that leads you to a championship. It, it just doesn't It doesn't it doesn't work for me now the way the NBA is now the the wing player it's such a wing dominant league you're not going to see a team go to the finals as the league as it's currently constructed without pretty high level wing players and the the jazz wing players are just okay like you said I mean Bogdanovich and and Joe and Royce O'Neal are they're just
2: okay. Yeah, I think, look, Donovan Mitchell, could, I wouldn't even, Rudy Gobert is the most valuable player to that team. And what that, maybe that's problematic. Maybe it's not. Um, I think people, you know, it's become reflexive to say he can be played off the floor in the playoffs. And it was, it was like, it happened once and it was, they kind of figured it out by the end. I'm not trying to say it was successful in that Houston series. So I'm, and I don't really worry about their offense because I think what they've compromised uh, with like s- defensive diversification on the wings, you now at least have enough shot creation. Um, in addition to Donovan Mitchell, where it's like Mike Conley and going Bogdanovich, like the, and even Jordan Clarkson, his, you know, he's kind of fallen off a little bit since this hot start, but you have enough shot creation to where, even if you don't think Donovan Mitchell's going to be the best player on a championship team, you have enough crunch time weapons. I think your offense ends up being fine. I just can't get around the wing stuff. And I've yet to figure out whether I'm harping too much on it, but just in a closing unit where if you have Anthony Davis closing at the five is the Lakers. Um, or, or what happens, you know, the Clippers have played Marcus Morris fairly liberally at the five this year, mm-hmm. uh, if they close with him at the five, they just run into all sorts of, of problems. And even J- peak Joe Ingalls was just not like this super athletic defender. And I, I, I there, are, I think you hit it on the head is that there are, maybe I would pick them to win a series against, I don't know that I would pick a series. They wouldn't win in my book against the sons, the nuggets, or either of the LA teams right now, or at least they wouldn't be a no-brainer pick for me. Yeah, they Anthony, can beat the Lakers if they don't have Anthony Davis and LeBron James. Listen, that should be okay. Here, here's what's wild to me: at full strength, are they a no-brainer to beat the Blazers? <laughs> I would say probably not. I, I would pick them to do it, but that's yeah. not something I'd be like, oh, Jazz in four or five.
1: I would think about it. I mean, the way Damian Lillard is playing this year, I, and well, and at full strength, they're just they're a pretty good team. I mean, but yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't, I wouldn't pick it. I mean, I would probably pick the jazz to win, but yeah. yeah, I mean, it, it, it could end up looking something like what we saw with the jazz and the nuggets last year, you know, but, um, all right, a couple, two more games, uh, by the way, we didn't get Dame time. Nets win 116 112 I guess continuing to bolster James Harden's MVP, right. You know, conversation another MVP. Yeah. Um, because you know, no Kyrie again in this game. Um, and then we didn't really talk. Oh, we, we, we talked Philly enough. I mean, Philly ends up beating the, the Warriors 108-98, but not a whole lot out of that game because no Steph Curry, other than the Warriors are just uh, atrocious to watch without Steph Curry. And then no Joel Embiid still. So um, the other two games was Denver beat Orlando 110-99. And notable in that is because – Jokic again, 28, 15 and 10, you have him on your MVP list. Do you think with the, the injuries now, I mean, and we don't know how long Giannis is going to be out. It might only be a couple of games, but like you said, maybe they start to rest him more because of it, because they're pretty locked in. Does he start to, to rise up in this MVP conversation just out of attrition almost because everybody else is getting hurt.
2: Yeah, I would say definitely. I think for a while, it, it felt like it was him, LeBron, or Embiid. And naturally, it makes sense now. Jokic should be the unquestioned um, number one. I think people are just kind of starting to realize how strong of a case Giannis has. And then Dame helping the Blazers navigate the absences from CJ and and Nurkic. Uh, but look, if the Nuggets are able to jump the Lakers in the standings and they finish fourth, and I you, you want to go beyond this. Jokic might be the best offensive player in basketball this season. Just the numbers he's putting up are absurd. He's shooting like... Sixty-something percent on twos, in addition to hitting his threes, it's it's mm. absolutely mind melting. And we know the passing stuff. Uh, I think he's. If I had, a, if you told me to guess who's going to win MVP right now, I would say Nikola Jokic. My pick at this moment would be Giannis. But Jokic, it feels like the stage really is set. And if you're going to tell me that Giannis misses any type of semi-significant time, and I'm of the mind in this pandemic season, we should give players a little bit of a cushion where it's like you miss 10 games. Fine. I know it's a larger chunk of the season, but so much unpredictability. But if Giannis ends up missing like five or, or seven games over the course of the season and you have Jokic who plays in, let's say 68 of 72 or whatever it is, he might just become the, the easier pick. And the only one I could really see challenging him in that instance would be, does James Harden come alive? Because let's just say Kevin Durant's injury is worse than we expected. And he he barely plays again this year. I don't know that Dame um, I don't know that the Blazers have the have the juice with Dame to really help them climb high enough in the standings for him to make it work, but he's certainly up there too. Who would have thought, right?
1: It, we never, obviously, you could never account for this type of season, right? But who would have ever thought that being a little schlubby and a little unathletic would be so valuable in a year because, you know, you look at Jokic doesn't get hurt. Harden doesn't get hurt. And I've I've talked about this a few times. It's like, you know, maybe there's something to it. You know, you see these guys that are completely jacked. They're wound so tight, they get these soft tissue injuries. We we rarely see the chubby, schlubby guys get soft tissue injuries that keep them out for a long time. Other than Luca's had this ankle thing since last year. in the he, He's on and off, and he's a little bit in on that boat too. But it's pretty interesting that the two leaders for MVP right now might be the two guys that everyone's always knocked for their physique. And I think it's pretty funny in a shortened year where – who knows? I don't know. Maybe playing every night is stressing out some of these Jack dudes. Yeah. And it was also,
2: I mean, this isn't really along the same lines. I've always wondered if it's guys who control the pace more than anyone else of a game where LeBron is that super athletic type, but he's just con- he's decided at the rate play is going to unfold. And basically every single game he's ever played um, in the NBA, at least post his first go around in Cleveland, and to have that type of control over game sort of allows you to, if you're going to slow it down and grind it out in the half court, it would help where felt feel like KD and even Kyrie, like they have more variant speeds. So maybe mm. I have no science to back this up, but that was sort of, I didn't really give the in shape or the, I don't want to say the body type. I didn't Shlubby. give that as much. On, consideration. I said,
1: um, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I've thought about that. See, even since I was in the league, because when I was working in the league, because we had a guy that I'm sure you're well aware of named Boris Diao. Now, <gasps> Boris, him. Boris was fat. I mean, it is just call what it is. Boris was fat, especially as the lockout year, but Boris never really missed games unless he chose to miss games. He was never hurt because he played at a pace. Uh, he played at his pace. He played his game. And I'm honestly, I just think he never played athletic enough because of the shape he was in to have like these weird injuries. <laughs> it was just, I think it's a combination of the, of the body type and having to, because of the body type having to play at a certain pace and learning to play your own pace. LeBron's obviously an anomaly because he he plays at the pace and he's a freak. But these other guys, it's like there's not. I don't know. It's 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 always interested me since I was in the league. Um, but yeah, Boris was a Boris <laughs> was totally Boris was Boris was like admittedly just out of shape. Like he just you know. But um, he was an interesting one. The other thing that I'll point out for the Nuggets real quick is the quiet emergence of Michael Porter Jr that we've seen over the last, I don't know how many games, but definitely since the break, he's starting, I think, to develop into a guy that if he becomes this type of scorer that we know he can be, they will be a tough out for any team in the playoffs. That big three, Michael Porter Jr. in particular, he's so important in his development as the wing scorer for that team, especially the way Jamal Murray is up and down. The way he's playing right now, he's starting to trend towards potentially making this team a super dangerous team come playoff time.
2: Yeah, the I've yet to dig deeper into it. The uh, It seems like he really started to turn when he was put in the starting lineup as the four next to Jokic. What I've noticed, too, is I do think Michael Porter Jr. has gotten better as a help defender since that's happened. But when you look at the lineup data with him at the four and Jokic at the five uh, and Jamal Murray on the court, those lineups are just suspiciously stingy. I don't know why they're so good defensively. I haven't dug deeper into it. I don't know that I've watched closely enough. Michael Porter Jr.'s improved health defense would not be the primary reason I would say yeah. those numbers are up there. That would be just my concern with this team. Is you lost Tori Craig, you lost Jeremy Grant. I think that's why they're so big into the Aaron Gordon Harrison Barnes sweepstakes. You might not even have those guys playing their best position all the time, which is the four. But Gordon, especially he and Michael Porter Jr., could be interchangeable. Essentially, it feels like they need to make that move to be really scary. But if you're going to have three scores of that level on the same team, this is not. I'm not going to compare them to what's going on in Brooklyn but the recipe of just having three superstar scorers who can get you a shot at any level, at any point in the shot clock, at any time in the game, it means a whole lot. And we've seen Jamal Murray just, this isn't just him going off in the bubble during the playoffs. He's gone off in the playoffs before. He's also cost some playoff games. That seems like it's the trade-off, but to have that guy who can, you can still turn to in crunch time or who's going to give you the occasional 40 point playoff game and to have maybe the MVP and Jokic, but then also Michael Porter jr. On top of that, who is, You know, he might be the least guardable of the three just because of the jumpers that he's going to take over the top of people. So, yeah, they're, they're, people were worried about them, myself included, towards earlier in the season. But the, the Michael Porter Jr. stuff seems to be clicking. I'm just curious to see what happens to them defensively. And like I said, I don't understand. Maybe a Nuggets person can point that out. Who's smarter than I am. What yeah. is going on defensively in those lineups that they've been so successful?
1: Yeah, on the unguardable thing, I don't think, could you name 10 guys in the NBA right now that are that si- that are that size, that can score the way Michael Porter Jr. can? I don't think you can. I mean, he's 6'10", so probably not. But even just from a wing perspective, outside of like KD, LeBron, Tatum, Paul George, Kawhi, like after that, you're, you're starting to, now you're starting to just like throw guys in there because just from a upside and talent standpoint, at that size, there's not a lot. There's not a lot of guys that can do it, um, right? And
2: he's yeah. their third option, which is which is why yeah. it's so wild.
1: Yeah, it's crazy. Um, all right, last game before we just talk real quickly about a, a few of, the, even though we've hit most of the trade deadline, big trade deadline names. The Knicks win one thirty one one thirteen over the Wizards. Uh, Julius Randle seven of ten from three. 37 points in 37 minutes. Um, you had him second right now for most improved player. Is there a world after what Jeremy Grant basically did in this, in the first half where you see Julius Randle playing his way into most improved player? Cause I've talked about that a few times this year, where because of not just what he's doing statistically and being an all star, but the implication that he's rejuvenated one of the most storied franchises almost I don't want to say single-handedly, but take him off this team this year. They're not good. So right. um, so it's almost single. Him and Thibodeau, obviously. But, you know, this is – I actually before last season said, watch out for Julius Randle in New York. He's too talented not to put up crazy numbers and at least be all, near all-star level. It took a year, but now he's doing it. But he's also shooting four, plus 40% from three, and he shot seven for 10 tonight. I think he could potentially catch Jeremy Grant because he seems to have regressed a little bit in the second half.
2: Yeah, the uh, Jeremy Grant's efficiency is way down. The thing I've struggled with is that you know, it, because the criteria for most improved is so nebulous, it does feel like we're on the lookout for the next potential superstar, which you would give to – you know Julius Randle isn't that much younger, but he's more – has a better chance at superstardom than Jeremy Grant. Uh, and then Shea Gilchrist-Alexander might fit this mold too a little bit more just Jeremy Grant is playing so differently in such a higher volume role, just exponentially. The fact that he hasn't fallen off a cliff is amazing to me. And I might always favor that. And then Julius Randall is doing a lot of the stuff that he always did. It's just the ball is in his hands more. And so there's, it's the matter of opportunity and volume, but I don't know how big of a, a contrast in play style to previous years. It is. I think the two big differences for him are the three point shooting where you know, some of those have been on un- unassisted too. And like, he's hitting those looks. They don't actually look pretty just from someone who's watched a lot of him. They're going in. And his defense has been a lot better this year. I never, never envisioned a world where I would say, you know, playing him at the five is is an okay idea. There have been games this season. And I think there was one game, it was the Nets game, their most recent game against the Nets where they closed him at the five. And he just galvanized them at both ends in that mm-hmm. stretch. And so that's absolutely huge. And so if Jeremy Grant sort of continues, you know, going down like this and it could happen. The Pistons are not good. He doesn't have help. Like Sadiq Bay is cool and having Killian Hayes healthy will be, will be fun, but they just don't have a lot of other creators on that team. There's definitely a world in which Julius Randall can, can win it. And if he, I don't even look at the team success so much uh, just because I don't know what that has to do. You know, how do you measure player improvement? Like Jeremy Grant shouldn't be less improved because the Pistons suck. They're built to suck uh, at the same time. The fact that he's doing this for a team that was expected to be just terrible, sort of on the same level as the Pistons and might take them to the playoffs. If Julius Randle's shooting 40 plus percent from three, averaging LeBron-like points and assists, I he might, he might have a real, I won't even say might, he probably will end up winning the award.
1: And I think also, I don't know about you and I don't know about the voters, how they reacted, but I think we, like on this show, we reacted this way and a lot of people reacted this way. I think it's also relative to the contract that he got. When people saw the number and the money that Detroit paid him to essentially be their best player, everyone was like, Jeremy Grant can't be that guy. And he, now they're not good. But he's showing that he at least can keep up somewhat what no one really, I didn't expect him to be this type of offensive player. And I, I thought it was going to crush Denver defensively to lose him. But I, I never thought he was this guy. So I think that'll, that'll tie into it a lot too, is that relative to what people expected, I think a lot of people saw the contract
2: he got and expected it to be a huge disappointment. Oh, I was, I was among them. And I thought, you know, I'm fine. I love when players bet on themselves. I thought it was a dumb move as you had the same amount of money to go play in a role that you knew um, you were good at. And on a better team, he bet on himself and it worked. And it's sort of like, you know, the cases are what's what constitutes most improved? more. Is it Jeremy Grant who has now discovered that his peak is exponentially higher than we could have thought, or is it Julius Randall who now we know that his peak can help a really good team or, I don't want to say really good, a good team more than we ever thought. And so it's an interesting sort of push and pull there. I do think just the way that Jeremy Grant has the efficiency has at least regressed. Um, Someone like me might look into it and be like, Hey, he's run twice as many pick and rolls or he's run more pick and rolls this season than he has his entire career combined before now. And so I'll look stuff like that and be like, you know, that might, matter a little bit more to me, but I can't fault anyone who would have Julius Randle number one right now. And again, just the, you want to look at it, he's he's even a better passer. Like there's, he had that Russell Westbrook or Giannis um, pre this season type feel where it was, he wasn't, he was just passing because defense is, Like collapsed, and it was almost a last resort. He's just he's passing guys open now, and with feel, and Mm -hmm. that that probably matters too. I might even be talking myself into Julius Randle as we speak. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, he's it's it's remarkable what he's doing, and and when
1: you watch that team, they have some young guys with upside, but that team's rough. I mean, it's rough outside of Julius. I mean, they have some guys, but they're playing some guys too that you're like couldn't couldn't make it anywhere else. Um, All right, let's talk real quickly about. We obviously, we, we hit a few of the bigger names from the deadline. Obviously, we don't really need to get into Lowry because we talked about what, you know, Heat, Sixers, which is really the only teams it looks like he might go to if he gets traded. However, I last night was talking to my, I did a solo episode last night and I was talking to myself about this. And I actually said this before the Siakam news came out today that I said yesterday after that loss to the Rockets that this, that the buzz has been about where's Lowry going to go and where's Norm Powell going to go. But I feel like there should be more talk about where's everyone on this team going to go. I think when you look at the roster construction and the money that they gave to these guys and what we're seeing out of this team, I don't think if I'm a Maasai, anything is off the table. I'm listening to calls on every player. And then you get this report today that Siakam is fined $50,000 for whatever he said to Nick Nurse, which is very interesting to me because... Did he say it in front of Masai? Did Nick Nurse go to Masai and say, Hey, he said this to me? Like, how did they find out that he said it and he got fine? Like coaches can't find players like that. They that has to come they have to go to the front office, front office, fine. You know, like there's a there's a there's a structure to the fine thing. Mm-hmm. So how do they know that he said these things to Nick Nurse? That's a weird situation in and of itself. But um, you know, they paid all this money to Fred Van Fleet and Siakam and even OG Nobi This team is very disappointing, I think, to a lot of people. But also, I think this is not super surprised. I don't think any of these guys are necessarily worth the money they got for the roles that this team's expecting them to play. And I said after last night's game, I know they've had a rough go because of the COVID stuff. But last night against the Rockets, they were fully healthy other than OGN and Obi, and they got beat by 20 to a team that had just lost 20 games in a row. This team, even, even if they get fully healthy, I don't know that this team's doing anything with the way they're, they're built. I would be listening to any offers. And I wouldn't be shocked if a big move comes out of Toronto that during this trade deadline. The question just becomes, would any
2: team want to take on those deals at this point? So I I feel like I both agree and disagree. I agree that they should probably be listening to any offer because I don't know where i di- where. where. I think you're accurate on Pascal Siakam is they paid him and they treated him like they could develop him into the best player on a championship team. I think it's now been proven that he can't be that. I'm still a firm believer though, that if this team was at full strength, they can be a lot better. Um, you did mention the COVID stuff, just knowing how long it's taken some guys to come back from COVID the fact that they were disrupted by injuries and then COVID mid season, and they're also playing in Tampa. So they're just playing a hundred percent of the time away from the road. I weight that, um, really heavily. I also, you know, I really like OG Ananobi. Uh, Fred Van Fleet, I think, is at least living up to his contract. I don't think they would have problems getting value for any of those guys. And OG Ananobi's weird because the extension and the poison pill. But I don't think any of them have played their way into being untouchable. And if you look, they are in this weird spot. We're talking about a Lowry trade. But the reason you move Lowry, unless he asks, and maybe even if he does ask, is because you want to do something more long-term. And you have these players where aside from OG and Anobi, they're all at these weird in-between ages. When you look at Van Fleet and Pascal Siakam, because so you are trying to, trying to think about the bigger picture. Or yeah, Chris Boucher, uh, my, another one of my siren songs. I love that guy. Yeah. He's like 27 uh, though, right? Isn't he? Isn't yeah, he's 27. Old? Siakam's like 26, if I'm yeah. not mistaken. Maybe he's 25. Van, Van Fleet is around that same age too. So yeah, you should absolutely listen to offers. I'd be curious to see. It's to me. It would start with Siakam because I think the idea of him is probably the hardest player to replace, just because of what he can give you defensively, and you still go to him as a ball handler. Maybe it's Van Fleet, but what are you? Which team? You know, I, I haven't even thought about the Pascal Siakam trade market. Is the problem? I don't know which team would get. You know, um, does a team like the Knicks decide? Like, is it? Can you get a rebuilding team or a team that has isn't really good now that has a ton of assets to kind of go semi all in? It would be Thunder. like a Knicks stage team, a Chicago Bulls stage team, the Thunder. Do you get one of them to give you you know, close to a treasure trove? I don't know if Siakam's at that level. If I were running a team, I would 100% do it. Uh, if I were Phoenix, I'm putting Cam Johnson, DeAndre Ayton, and Picks on the table to see if I can get DeAndre, uh, Pascal Siakam, and in, in Phoenix. Um, I'm a still big believer in Pascal Siakam. And I actually think if you get the Raptors in the playoffs and they're fully healthy, if they can get into that point, I think they're still a team that can win a, a playoff series, which is why... I, which is why I kind of don't want to see them trade Kyle Lowry, just because I feel like there's an unplumbed peak to this team. But I also just get what you're saying, because if a Kyle Lowry trade becomes the reality, you do have to, there's, I've seen some people sort of speculate that, well, maybe they're not that much worse without Kyle Lowry. My issue there is that one, it's just like, yes, they are. They're worse without Kyle Lowry. He's that team's identity too. It feels like they adopt his play style when he's on the court. And so I have a tough time envision. Them at least having a clear road to getting really good if they're uh, moving off Lowry, and then also if you move off Lowry, you're kind of just you're not necessarily accelerating your rebuild so much as you're steering harder into the the no man's land of the NBA where teams yeah. that can't win a title but they don't suck. Yeah, yeah, but aren't they kind of there now? They are. I just feel like they're deeper. Where if they keep Lowry and they're healthy, you can talk me into them making real noise in the East. If you trade Lowry, right. if you trade Norman Powell, um, you know they feel like a they will be like a first round stepping stone.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm not convinced that they're not, but I see what you're saying. I see what you're, I see what you're saying. Um, we talked about old Depot briefly, you know, he's going to be a free agent. He doesn't want to be in Houston. And I think it sounds like Houston's going to trade him. Like that's what people are saying is that they're gonna, that they plan to trade him before the deadline, but they're going to have to come off of whatever value they think he has. Cause he still doesn't look great. And he's a free agent. I, I just don't, I don't know where he ends up. Like, He's a guy who I could see ending up with the Knicks, but what do the Knicks have to give Houston at this point? You know,
2: it's like. They have stuff to give. Why would you give up anything for Victor Oladipo? Exactly. I think in the the Sharania report, I can't. I don't want to say. I saw a report where it was like, you you see what comes from the the agent where it's like giving a recap of the team where it says Victor Oladipo has played well since coming over from Indy. And it's like, is there a different Victor Oladipo that I've seen? Yeah, who are we watching? Yeah. Uh, and just on top of that, he's had, he had a right quad injury that no one's talking about. since so he's been in Houston. Like that was the quad that he, he ruptured the tendon in that cost him essentially was it a year of basketball that you know, really ripped him from his all-star form. So I, well, you have to move him. And now the choice to, because they punted on Karis Levert and a second round pick for all Depot, that was, that was the choice they made. What are you, you're not getting that even close to that value now. And I know people I've talked to have told me, well, they valued the cap space more and I sort of alluded to this before worry about getting cap space when you need cap space. And this summer, I would be strongly of the belief that you can just trade Karis Levert into some teams cap space while still getting value back. Uh, mm. You're not, you're not going to get anything like that along the lines for Victor Oladipo um, who's a soon to be free agent anyway. But uh, like, I think the Knicks and Miami are the teams that keep being regurgitated. I'm you're know, Are you giving up? Like, Kevin Knox and a Dallas pick for Victor Oladipo if you're the Knicks that almost feels like too much for them yeah I think it does
1: seem like Miami at least you know if you want you could give up a pick which they don't have many to give up but and like a Kendrick Nunn maybe like that would that would be like the ideal thing for a a heat team if you're playing then but then you also have to decide do you want to extend them but I guess you have the rest of the season to figure that out I don't know yeah, I'd stay away from it, and I would just wait to see if you can get him in free agency. Um, Aaron Gordon, we mentioned quick, we mentioned, but I guess there's a bunch of teams interested. It makes sense, high upside. Uh, you mentioned the Nuggets, which would be interesting. I, I think the other team that's been linked to him is the Celtics. I think he would be huge for them. They they just they have no depth. The interesting the offer that I saw or the report that I saw again, I don't know how, how real these are or whatever, but it was. Gordon and Fournier for Marcus Smart and then whatever, I guess whatever makes the the deals work, uh, which would be interesting to me. I mean, I think it would make the Celtics deeper. I do think they would definitely miss Marcus Smart. Uh, he is their defensive leader and sort of like the, the heartbeat type player for that team. Um, but Aaron, their front court's pretty rough. So Aaron Gordon would be an upgrade for them. Do you, is there a team that you think makes the most sense for Gordon? They say Celtics, Rockets, Wolves, Nuggets, Blazers are
2: all teams that have at least inquired. I would love to see him next to Colin Anthony Towns, but the Wolves have no business training what it would take to get Aaron Gordon. I like the Celtics too because they have assets, but you have to weigh it like, you know, with the Harrison Barnes stuff as an example. I don't know that he would be a part of their closing lineup because you have Kemba, Smart, Brown, and Tatum. Are you playing Barnes at the five? I don't know that that works. Gordon, I think it works better. So you can, you know, he's gonna be part of your closing lineup. I don't love the idea of giving up smart, but then I guess if you look at the Celtics, you have Tatum and Brown and then Gordon coming in. You're probably still a pretty good defensive team without smart. It just, I'm with you. i He's the lifeblood of that team. Maybe getting Fournier as well, and if you're getting off Tristan Thompson's money for next season too, softens that burden. I just, that I want to see, Gordon in Boston is the most intriguing fit to me. I don't know that I would do it if it's costing you or I wouldn't do it if it's costing me Marcus smart, if I were the Celtics. Uh, And I really, you know, Portland would be out of excuses for why their defense is so bad. If they have Roko, Derek Jones and Aaron Gordon on the team, but he feels like he makes so much sense there with the way that he's been shooting the three ball. And it feels like all these guys go to Portland for the most part and start shooting better from three, Uh, even Derek Jones jr. This season. So I would, I would love to see him there. And I've thought about like, what would be a team that hasn't been mentioned that would just make, uh, or be an interesting Aaron Gordon fit. And I've like, I've stumbled into points where like, I would love to see um, the Knicks maybe make a dark horse run at him. Not their defense is already good enough, but I feel like they sort of lack uh, like di- like dynamic like players where it's, you know, if Mitchell Robinson yeah. or Julius Randall, they're these one position players, Gordon's like a three position player. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that would be the team like, Hey, it's sort of, you're not, you're not, you're not going all in, but you're buying someone who fits a more gradual timeline. Uh, he's, you know, I'm surprised he hasn't been traded before every season. I feel like since he signed this contract that he's on, he's been in the rumor mill, uh, I, whichever team gets him, I think is probably going to be the, the winner at the deadline to me, unless we just see, unless one, they overpay, obviously. Or if we, there's like a player that we don't see coming that gets moved.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think his upside's high. The, the next one I haven't really thought about, but that is really, him and Julius Randall next to each other would be fun. That, that, that would be a really interesting, uh, front court. The two other guys that I don't think will get moved that I saw today that I guess apparently their teams are listening on offers for them is one I don't understand. One, I, I guess I understand Malcolm Brogdon, which I don't really get because I love Malcolm Brogdon. I've, I thought it was such a massive mistake for the Bucks to let him go when they did. Um, and I think he's really good for the... I think he's the ideal point guard in today's NBA. Uh, and then Laurie Markkinen, who I guess I can kind of see it if they don't plan on if he's not part of their future and they don't want to pay him what he wants, I could see it. Although he is high upside, talented guy. Could you
2: see either? Do you think either of them, have you heard anything? Do you think any, either of them potentially on the move? I'd be shocked if anything happens with Brogdon. And I saw the Yahoo sports report that they might entertain offers on Sabonis or teams are looking for that. Uh, they've yet to see their best five man unit play together this mm-hmm. year, which is, you know, Warren Sabonis, uh, Turner, Brogdon, and uh, Lavert they've only, and they're the four guys who are healthy have played sub 200 possessions together. I was looking this up before. I understand they're probably concerned about paying the tax because McConnell and McDermott are up after this year. And then you have TJ Warren's next deal in 2022. If you're worried about paying the tax because of those guys, you move TJ McConnell or Doug McDermott, you don't move Malcolm Brogdon. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I would be, I would be floored if they did anything. And if they do anything surprising, it's probably a Turner trade, right? It's not some bonus or Brogdon of all players. I don't, the, the Bulls need to lo- move Larry Market they, He plays your uh, most important long term players aside from Levine's Patrick Williams' best position, probably. And he just hasn't shown like this deep offensive skill set. He can hit threes, but like he's not doing a ton of stuff off the dribble. He's not getting the foul line a ton. Uh, I don't know what he does for you. And, and maybe he costs little enough where you, you're fine keeping him around. But I, if you don't want to pay him, and again, you have Patrick Williams and all the reports say that they don't want to move Thaddeus Young either, and so it's like, all right, if you want to keep Thaddeus Young and you have Patrick Williams, it's it's time to move Lowry Mark. And if look, okay. if you're they they might be out on Wendell Carter Jr. too. Like that would be the the actual when people have asked me surprise names that could be moved, Wendell Carter Jr. is the guy I keep coming back to because it feels like the Bulls might just be, uh, I won't even say a little, like a really low on him long term. It's weird too because. I feel like they're a little bit ahead of where I
1: expected them to be this year, but at the same time, they seem willing to move a lot of their young guys, which is it's like, although obviously not Zach and not, I don't know what the, how they feel about Kobe white. And I think Patrick Williams has been a pleasant surprise to a lot of people. Not me. I went to Florida state. I watched the kid. Um, He
2: was uh, I loved him coming in. I was still. And granted, I was definitely ill during the NBA draft this year. I called out sick from work that day and I have to be dying for that to happen on draft day. I woke (laughs) up. and saw that he, he was picked at number four. And I was like, what? Yeah. Um, I mean,
1: I was shocked about the, I I was high on him, but I was
2: definitely, <laughs> I was like, uh, yeah, I think everyone was like, what? Yeah. Huh? Patrick Williams. I mean, kudos to Chicago, but that was like, you talk about, I know the draft was unpredictable after number three, but you talk about taking a swing. They took a swing. And then Okoro. I thought Okoro
1: was the same thing. I didn't expect Okoro to go as high as he went to those back-to-back picks. Right.
2: Yeah, I guess I saw Mox with the Coro going a little bit higher. Like, I had seen Mox where Patrick Williams was going at the end of the first round, and I know he had moved up, but I was like, four? (laughs) Yeah, and I watched
1: a ton of Florida. I haven't watched much college basketball this year, but I watched a ton of Florida State last year. I was was higher on Devin Vassell. I I really was just because from a skill set standpoint, like, his skills translated. Obviously, Patrick Williams was the higher-level athlete, bigger, could probably play multiple positions, but Vassell – Watching him in college, I was like, damn, this kid's going to come in the league and be a shooter and a score. Like, I, he gave me like a little bit of a Chris Middleton vibe. Yeah. I mean, he's in his first year and he's not playing a ton in San Antonio, but
2: he looks good though. Like, he's not yeah. doing as much stuff on the ball as you'd like to see him do. But, you know, he and Tyrese Halliburton are the two what ifs if you're definitely the Knicks after taking Toppin. But think about we were just talking about the Suns. Had the Suns gone with um, Tyrese Halliburton over Jalen Smith, uh, I think yeah. Devin Vassell was off the board by the time they were up. Right. But like, those were the two players I had circled for them. I was like, this team is going to, would be absolutely killer if they had, you know, one of those two guys on, but, but yeah, this draft class has surprised me with how deep it appears to be during their rookie seasons draft. We talked about it the other day, being a draft analyst is
1: like, it's the, it's the best because it's like, you can have a the draft weatherman
2: of basketball. Coverage,
1: yeah. It's right? unbelievable because it's like last year, It's like, oh, this draft has no stars, maybe LaMelo, but really there's Anthony Edwards. Is he even a star? And now it's looking like this draft looks really good. And then there's there's guys talking about how the top five picks in next year's draft are all franchise players. And it's like one of the deepest draft top fives we've seen. And with Cade Cunningham and Mobley and Kaminga and all these guys, it's like, really, they're all going to be franchise players. I don't know, man. It seems unlikely. It doesn't always doesn't shake out that way. But hey, I mean, it just seems like it's like that and and being a fantasy analyst. It's like, you know, oh, man, you can't you can't be wrong. I mean, you can be wrong, but then you're just updating it so often that the next day you're right.
2: Yeah, there's uh, there's a lot of hedging involved in that. But I have to look, I can't just the scale at which I'm like I cover the league. I just can't watch college basketball. I crash course before the draft. And so I'm just like, yeah, I'm going to assume that I've seen highlights of Kate Cunningham. I'm just going to assume that he's going to be amazing because that's what everyone's saying until I do my own research around like draft time. I'm just going to assume that Kate Cunningham is the next great thing. I'm going to be so beyond. up until this
1: year, I was either working in the league or I was working at CBS sports where I was producing. So I had to watch like tape to know like what highlights, and which guys I've watched, this, the floor, the two Florida State tournament games are the first college basketball games I've watched all year. And they'll I don't probably know how be- how you, you watch college basketball, period. It, I hate it. We've talked about it on this show plenty. I, I <laughs> Like the other night, the first round, the first night, or the play-in games round, right? The first night of the NCAA tournament was the same night that Anthony Edwards went for 42. There was seven, there was only six games that night. There was eight 35 plus point games in the NBA, three 40 point games- Anthony Edwards became the third youngest player ever to score 42. And all anyone was talking about how two teams I've never heard of finished 54 or 53. And I'm like, how can you be watching that when this is happening in the NBA? It's 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 mind blowing to me. College basketball stinks. It's, and it's crazy because when I was at Florida state, I really wanted, there was a part of me that was like, I think I could stay and coach in college basketball. I think then I got to the, my first year working in the league. I'm like, never
2: again. It's, College
0: basketball.
2: So. <laughs> I can't, I can't watch it. I kudos to people who cover the draft full time. Uh, it's, and I understand why the level of play is so much slower. The talent's diluted. You're dealing with, they don't have the same like time to invest in development or time with their team. They do in the NBA level. It's just when you go from, I think I feel it most because you've gone from watching how many NBA games and then you go to watch a college basketball game. It's just, it's so much different. Yeah. I mean, I worse. could
1: look, I could look, I could go. I could do a whole, I could do a whole breakdown. I could do a dissertation on my problems with college basketball. Uh, but look to me, and I don't know enough about college football, although i I watch it or college baseball or anything like that. But to me, it's the only amateur. And I say that with quotes, right? Amateur sport that is supposed to be a funnel system to a pro sport. That is, it's a fundamentally different game. And we're not, you're not watching the same game when you're watching college basketball in the NBA and particular and part of that is the rules are just so different. Everything's different. 35 second shot clock, different like, shot why? clock, different shot clock, shorter three point line, uh, two 20 minute halves instead of four quarters TV timeouts every four minutes. So the pace of the game gets t- drastically slowed down, uh, zone defense. So teams can just camp out and they don't really have to learn how to play defense. It's just, it's a different game. You, you're fundamentally watching a different game. And that also is, I think what doesn't get talked about when you are talking about draft development is that teams, everyone's like, Oh, people don't want old players. No, it's not that they don't want old players. It's that when you've played four years in a college system, you have learned how to play the wrong type of basketball. Like 22 is not that old, but when you're 22 and you've played four years at Florida state, no offense to my guys, but like, you've played four years in a college system. And now you have to be totally broken down and retaught basketball. it when you're 19 and you, and you've been in college for six months, there's more, it's more pliable because they haven't been ingrained with, this is how we went at the college level. Yeah, for sure. I,
2: I couldn't agree, agree more with you.
1: Yeah. We, I don't know. That's a great tangent. I love it. To be continued because I want to have you back, but uh, I appreciate you coming on. Um, This has been a great episode. Hardwood knocks. I'm not going to say hard court, not hardwood court. I, I just, I'm gonna hardwood knocks. What's your What's your Twitter Is handle it, for people to go? I follow? think at
2: least at least you didn't stop at hardwood and you put the knocks in there. That's, <laughs> yeah, where, that's where people might have gotten confused.
1: Yeah. Um. Tell the people your Twitter handle so they can go ahead and follow you.
2: Uh, it's my name at Dan F A V
1: A L E, and go check out his article. Top three at each award uh three months through the season dan really appreciate it hope we have you have, have you on back uh have you back on again soon and uh yeah appreciate you having you on yeah thank you so much for having me this was a blast yep all right we'll see you guys tomorrow uh tomorrow actually by the way ty windish gonna come on talks about Bucks, celtics and some more free agency talks. so looking forward to that one we'll see you guys tomorrow later